Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. As you find your seats this morning, we're continuing in our series. Uh, we've, we've been very open about kind of a, a cheesy way of getting a point across, using this, this word ship and, and different words that come along with it as we walk through this journey of, of the things that should be and that we want to continue to, to improve and to make sure are part of Calvary Baptist Church. And so uh, just to kind of give you an idea, we started the first Sunday, and this has become kind of our our motif for the, for the series, we talked about from Acts chapter number 2 and verse 42 that the, those early Christians at first church, they were devoted to the, and the Bible says the fellowship. You'll see it on the screen in just a second. They were devoted to the fellowship. And that wasn't just fellowshipping. That wasn't they were devoted to hanging out for coffee and donuts. The fellowship was the group, that the, the, the congregation, the gathering, that they were, and they were devoted to that. And, whatever, and the, they, that's where they, their life was, was uh, reflected in what they believed about that fellowship. So that kind of becomes the foundation. So the next couple of weeks, we talked about uh, the idea from Matthew chapter number 28 that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we talked about discipleship and the fact that we should be growing in our church, providing ways for all of us to mature and to grow in our faith, but it shouldn't stop there because as we're growing, we're sent out on mission then to make disciples, to see that other people know Jesus and that other people are growing and maturing. So it's a part of, of growing as well as, as going, and that's what discipleship is. Last Sunday, we talked about from 1 Peter chapter number 4, where Peter says each of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards. We talked about stewardship, the fact that God has equipped and he has resourced each of us as his followers to do a work for him. So now we're managers of all that he's given us and we're to use it the best way that that he has allowed us to do it in order to serve him. So we talk about stewardship. Now this week, and I think it's very appropriate that our symbol is an anchor because as even one of the songs mentioned, we're talking about one of the anchor points, so one of the anchor ships, if you would, uh, that should be a part of, of our lives and our church, and that's the idea of worship. That's a churchy word, perhaps, but we're going to find how powerful it is as we continue to walk through this, this sermon this morning. Here's what I wanted to do as we, um, as we move forward. There's an we're going to talk about all hands on deck as far as worship, but there was a song that was actually it's written several years ago. For some of you, it'll be brand new because you, you either weren't born yet or you, uh, uh, you've not heard it before, but many of you, you'll recognize it. But as, as Paul and I were talking, this particular song, the lyrics of this song are exactly what we want to talk about today, and that is the heart of worship. And it actually, it actually mentions in this, this song that uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, God. That's truly what the heart of worship is all about. So this morning, I, I've asked the band if they would to, to lead us in this song this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand. You can be seated. You, maybe if you know the song, great. If you want to learn it as you go along, you can sing, or you can just meditate on the words. But this is the message that we want to talk about as we move through. And I promise this is going to be a little different kind of a sermon because I, I want us just to think about what this heart of worship really looks like. So worship with us as we sing this song and think about what, it, what these words mean as you go through our lives today. The heart of worship. Sing with us.
Psalms, chapter number 100, some very powerful words of worship, and I'd like to allow you to read them with me this morning as we kind of move down this road. The psalmist writes these words, and I invite you, let's read them together this morning. Psalm 100, starting at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The next verse goes on to say, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We talk about worship, and I, I'll be honest, is a, as a preacher, this is one of my favorite and one of my most difficult sermons to preach. And I'll share with you why. One is in preparation, as I'm talking about worship, and I start reading these verses, and God reminds me, I have to stop every so often and just do what I'm talking about doing, and that's worship. makes for a real long week of study, if you think about it. Because you can't, if you guys are really going to listen today, there's going to be some times you're, you're going to not have, be able to just do anything but stop and worship. Because that's, that's what happens when you under, begin to understand what this concept is all about and why it is so important within our church is such a huge topic because we're talking about a huge God. And when we try to put all of that into some kind of a, a human understanding, it just, you can't do anything but explode at some point of our understanding of, of worship. So as I said earlier, this, this may be an unusual sermon. You'll notice I left only a few blanks today because I don't know if I'm going to get to every, everything that I have thought about this week. So I I know how that just frustrates some of you, and you leave here with jitters if you don't fill on the blanks. So I've got very few today, because I hope you're just going to listen. And as God puts some things on your heart, you're going to jot some things down. But most of all, I, I hope this happens every Sunday. I really That's one of my prayers, is that this actual message is an act of worship. But my hope is that every once in a while, as we just preach, that we just stop and do it. We just worship. And I hope that throughout that, that's what's going to happen this morning. Let, let me just start by saying um, the idea of worship is weaved throughout all of Scripture. In fact, before the actual English word worship is used in the Bible, Genesis 22, 5 is the first time it's used. Before that, we already know from the very beginning that, that this, there was something that they had not even named perhaps yet, but worship in, in Genesis chapter number 4, uh, Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. That was worship. And, and we also see from the very beginning that there's issues with worship. There's because his brother, seeing that his wasn't acceptable, murdered his, his brother Abel over worship. So from the very beginning, worship has been real, it's been important, and it's had these issues associated with it. But as you move through worship, and we come to several, all throughout the Bible, as I said, it's weaved through. But one of the most classic, uh, perhaps, forms is the book of Psalms itself. The longest book in the Bible you could literally classify it as a book of worship, if you would, or a book of praise. A, it's a psalm book, right? 
So right in the middle, we already read one of the Psalms, but there's another one that I want to call your attention to, or just a verse, and we're going to actually hopefully come back to it at the end. But Psalm 95, verse number 6, the writer David says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. That, that verse begins to help us see the importance of worship and also the, the why of worship. And, and there's, a, there's even the how. Everything's, there, there's so much involved in those verses we're going to kind of unpack as we, we move along. But you go from, from Genesis and Psalms to the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And if you go clear to the end of the Bible, the last book in the Bible is a book full of literally the act of worship. But I want to pull one specific out, Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 10. Where the Bible says the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Now that's with the worship, but look what they do. And this is, you've got to kind of get a, wrap your mind around what they're doing. They, these four and 20, 24 elders, they lay their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. If you've been in church a while and you've been studying through Revelation, at some point you've, you've looked at that phrase about they laid their crowns down. And, and we know about, people talk about laying the rewards that God has given us and laying the crowns at, at his feet. And, and if that's part of what this is, fantastic. But I want you to see really what's going on here is you have 24 rulers, 24 elders, 24 people who have been signified as being worthy to wear a crown, being worthy to be in charge. And when those people see the God of the universe, what do they do? What's the first thing they do is they take their crowns off of their head and say, we're not worthy to wear this. You are worthy because you created us. You created everything. Worship started when they, they just simply, they laid their crowns down and said, we are not worthy, but God, you are. You want to talk about the heart of worship? That's what we're seeing, and it's weave, it weaves itself, what I said, through all of Scripture. So let's talk about that word a little bit. By definition, description, even let's, let's look at the biblical words that are used. Uh, there, there's several different principles throughout of worship, but that word actually, as it comes up Old New Testament, by definition, it means to bow down. And I think that is just the basic, and you're going to see this as we walk through. The, the basic idea of both Old and New Testament involves those three words, to bow down. We saw the elders do it. We saw David talk about it. There's something about bowing down, and we're going to see how significant that is, but that's, that's initially what worship is about. Old Testament talks about bowing down, prostrating yourself, literally falling flat on your face, before God. New Testament, it uses this phrase, the kiss the hand towards, as if you're going, you're, you're, you're kissing to God as a form of worship to him. You fall on your knees. It has to do with profound reverence. Other words that are used like awe and adoration, obedience, performing sacred services, they all are part of that word worship as it goes through the, throughout the scriptures. Very simply, just from this definition, worship is a reverential attitude of mind, body, or both. Your mind, your body, or some combination of both. That would be a biblical definition if you want to talk about of, of worship. Here's what we know, folks. As human beings, you, you were created to worship. You were made to worship. That's one of the ways that God wired us was to worship. The problem is that in the beginning, 
before sin, worship to God was all that they did. It was all that there was, and that's, it was a very natural relationship. But because of the fall, we haven't changed. We still worship, but now sometimes, oftentimes, our worship is not directed to the God that it was meant to be directed to. And so we still worship, but we worship a lot of things. And it could be things. It could be stuff. Even ourselves. We end up worshiping me. Over time, at some point, our worship is distracted. Is, there would be no, uh, no understanding why God would not do this. But the very first command, if you remember, of the Big Ten, uh, Exodus chapter 20, starts off this way. I am the Lord your God. He says in Exodus 20 and verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. What is God saying? You're a worshiper, so you've got to guard your worship. Your worship, you will worship something. You will worship someone. Worshiping is what you do. He said, so guard your worship because I'm the only one that deserves it. I'm the only one that should be worshiped. That's how worship kind of pulls itself throughout the scripture. What, what we're going to talk about today is worshiping as an individual, as a believer, disciple you and your personal worship and how that works throughout your life. But what we see in scripture, worship was also very often a, a corporate thing. It was a, the, the, the people of Israel did it. The church gathered and worshiped together. So it's not only just you individually. There's also this element that God has proclaimed for his people to gather together and, and worship. And what that means and, and how as we're devoted to the fellowship, how that also should mean we're devoted to, to worship. And that's, that's the word we're going to say. Now, here, here's something as we walk through. Someone asked me, and they were joking when they asked me this this week, but they said, did you mean worship? And you'll, you'll see it up there, uh, as in uh, W-A-R, because you say them, they're, depending on if you're from Tennessee or not, they sound exactly the same, worship or worship, right? That's kind of funny, uh, and not. Let me show you, that there's, it's kind of interesting how that that's almost relevant. When you think about it, let's start, let's start from just the idea of, worship itself being something God instituted for his people and he has this so what's the enemy going to do right off the bat he's going to do everything he can to destroy worship the devil has been on an all-out war to take away worship to get us to worship something else besides God it can be anything else but worship anything but God it has been this constant this constant battle of war it started in Cain and it's been continued on ever since that worship is literally a, a part of it because the devil is out to stop it here's what's also sad is that has actually moved into even church circles there has been in recent years and I'll say the last 20 years they've been affectionately called the worship wars in churches because it became an, a, a war over the methods and the songs and the music. And I'm not here to debate which side you may stand on. But do you understand that that's the devil saying, I don't want you to worship, so let me get you to battle over it? For crying out loud, Christians, what are we doing? This is the worship of God. But it's become a worship, sadly. But on the positive side, let me get there. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter 20, there's a great story, and I see it throughout the scripture, of the people when they went out for battle to do what God had called them. In this one instance, the people who went first, it was the praise band and the worshipers. They were going out to battle an army that they thought was, was so much big, they were never going to win. God said, send your praise team out first. Okay, Paul, let's go. We're going out to battle. Let's send the drums and the guitar out first. Yeah, they get knocked out, then we'll take over, right? That's the, 
They set worship first. And before the army ever got there, God had already defeated the enemy. So there, there's something powerful about worship whenever we do it as God has designed, that that actually becomes a part of our battle strategy. Worship God and let him take care of the enemy. What a great source. So I, I'm not, that, the word worship I'm not using other than to say how powerful it may be. Today I want to take us to a New Testament example. And what we see at the very least, there is confusion about worship and misunderstandings. In John chapter number 4, we're going to find one of those stories. And what's exciting about this is Jesus actually, in the middle of this, gives us some incredible teaching about it. Let me give you a little background before we read the verses. This definitive passage about worship starts with a, a conversation that Jesus is having with a woman at a well in Samaria. And it was happening about noontime. All of those words are significant because Jesus speaking to a Samaritan was huge. Speaking to a Samaritan woman was huge according to culture. The fact that she was there at noon says something about her reputation because the, the women of reputation would come at evening and they would gather together. So her being at noon was probably meant because, as the Bible would tell us, she had five husbands and the one she's living with is not her husband. She had a reputation. So she was there because no one else wanted to be around her. So Jesus is talking to a sinful Samaritan woman at noon at a well. And in their conversation, Jesus offers her a wonderful gift and begins to share with her what real life is all about. It's a great story. But right in the middle, things get a little personal. Jesus talks to her about her life that she didn't know anybody really or that he would ever know about. And so what does she do? She does something that it seems that what she does is she tries to change the subject. Let's get off of me for a minute, and let me ask you a question, because we're going to ask a religious question, Jesus, because that way we can all, we can talk, and we can, we're going to fight, we can talk about something else. And so here's what she says to him. Sir, the woman said, I can see what, that you are a prophet, and our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to notice in these six verses that I'm, we're going to read throughout today, ten times in these six verses the word worship or worshipers is used. So this is a definitive passage about worship. So she asks this question, kind of off the subject. Uh, let's get off of me for a minute. Let's just talk about, let's talk about religion. You go to verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, if you are not catching it, we'll go back and explain it, but 2,000 years later, and people are still confused about some of the same elements of worship as this woman was 2,000 years ago. As you look through this, this story and you look through what she says, uh, she, was, she was focusing on the tradition of worship, because notice she says, our ancestors, our fathers worshiped this way. Right? So there's tradition involved. And then she goes to the place of worship. She says, we worship on this mountain. You Jews worship on Jerusalem. So you have your way of worship. We have our way of worship. And we're just doing it the way we've always done it in tradition. Does that not sound familiar with church and religion today? That we do it the way that, we were, that our parents did it. We did it the way, we we did it the way according to our tradition. And, and we have to do it at this place, on this time, in this way. And, and we, have this, we have this picture. That's exactly what she was saying. It's, it's, the, it's the where, and it's, the, it's the, this, this idea of the, the what of worship. Here's what I want you to grab, just, just some thoughts that ran through my mind. The where and the what of worship is secondary. The how and the whom of worship is primary. 
Jesus is going to explain to us what real worship looks like, but it bases back to this. He said, you Samaritans, you don't understand God. The Jews do understand who God is, but both of you got to understand it's the who of worship that's most important. It's not the where. It's not the, the exact, it's not those, those, those traditional things. It's about, it's about who and it's about how you do it according to God's design. That, that's what Jesus is going to tell her. Let, let me give you just kind of a, a summary description of worship. And, I, and this kind of helped me to put it in these words. Worship is an inner attitude of all reverence, gratitude, and love toward God, resulting from a realization of who he is and who we are that displays itself in an outward expression. Worship is something inside, an awe and worship of God inside that ultimately expresses itself in some form outwardly. It's an inward attitude that ultimately comes out in an act of worship. Here's another word, and I'm, I'm really not trying to push this ship thing too far, but an actual description that I saw this week of worship comes down to one word, worth-ship. Is God worth it? Is God worthy of our worship? And knowing that he is, worship comes down to expressing our honor, expressing our reverence, expressing our glory for who God is and the fact that he deserves our worship. It's, it has our attitudes and our actions because God is worth it, because God deserves it. God commands it because there is nothing else that should be commanded. He is God of all things, and he is worthy of our worship. Okay, so this woman was a little confused. Jesus is starting to set her straight, and he continues with these words. John 4 and verse 23, Jesus said, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In just those two verses, Jesus has given us some critical truths about worship. I want us just to kind of chew on a little bit and then hopefully allow us to worship in a different way as we leave today. Let me just summarize it this way, and this is how we're going to unpack it. Since God is seeking true worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth, we should make it our priority to become such worshipers. That's my challenge. That's my heart today. Since God is seeking true worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth, We ought to make that our priority. And that's what I hope that we begin to do as we walk through. Let me unpack that. We'll start this. God is seeking true worshipers. You go back to our verse, verse 23. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Did you see that? Have you noticed that in Scripture before? God is looking for worshipers. God God is seeking. He is actively pursuing his humans to worship him. He's made us to worship. He, know we get conf- he knows we get confused. We get off track. So he's seeking for us to worship him. What an amazing picture that the God of the universe wants us to have this kind of a relationship with him. He's seeking for that to happen in our lives. This whole picture of this woman in the well, it's all a great, Jesus came to her in the middle of her confusion and her, her sin and all that kind of stuff. What does he do? He focuses on worship. He was trying to take a sinful woman and turn her into a worshiper. 
a true worshiper of God. He was coming after her. What a great picture. Wherever you are in life at this point, wherever you were when you came to know Jesus, that was because there was a God coming after you who wanted you to truly worship him. He was seeking you for this to happen. This morning, he is looking for those who will truly worship, and it comes from that change of heart. That's what he came looking for this woman. He was seeking, but notice that God is seeking true worshipers. You've got to circle that. God put both those things in there. He is seeking, but he's seeking true worshipers. So let's be honest. If he's seeking true worshipers, that means there will be false worship. There will be false worshipers. There will be those who are calling it worship, even saying it's going to God, and it's, it's not. We can look at, and we're not talking about just religion, but we've got to look at some of the major religious beliefs of our, of our culture and of our world that are sincere. Whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, you name it. Those kind that, that they are sincere. In fact, sadly, more sincere some than, than some who call themselves Christians. But you understand that their basis of worship is not true worship by God's definition. Sincerity does not mean reality. Sincerity is not truth. As sincere as you can be, and, and we're all going to the same place. We're all, it sounds so great in a political speech, but it's wrong and it's dangerous because it's false worship. There is a worship that is sincere, but it's sincerely wrong. Jesus said, I'm seeking for true worshipers. But let's not just go outside the church. Let's move it in a little closer. Because right within a church that proclaims Jesus as Savior and God is the omnipotent and, and he is our object of worship, right here in a place like Calvary, there are those who would go through the motions of worship and sadly would not be true worshipers. Some of you would be the only ones who would know if that's true or not, but you could say the prayers, you can go through the traditions, you can do all of the things, and it's an outward activity, but it didn't start with an inward attitude. It's not a heart of, of worship. In fact, Jesus gave a scathing rebuke to some first century God-fearers, and here's the words that he used to them in Matthew chapter 13. He said, you hypocrites. I always like it when Jesus kind of tries to, you know, be soft. And he, You hypocrites, he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Listen to this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Verse 9 says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human. Their worship is useless. It's worthless. doesn't mean a thing. Sincere, yes. Wrong, absolutely not worship. So what he's saying is God is seeking those who will truly worship him. Here's what we learned from this verse, what we've already seen from definition, everything else. True worship comes from the heart. When we use the phrase heart of worship, we're, it, it's more than just a song. It literally is. It comes from within. It's something that has to be, mean, that first of all, that there's been a change in your heart, that you know Christ is your Savior, that the Spirit of God lives in you. You can't worship on your own without God doing a work in your life. It starts from the heart. True worship is something that comes from the inside and then expresses itself outwardly. That's God is seeking true worshipers. Here's the second thing. True worship requires both spirit and and truth. Verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The spirit, God's 
spirit working in you, that inner, that's the inside. It's got to start from there. It's from, it's not just what you do. It, and it's about what, what happens from the inside. And then it has to be in truth. It's based on who God is, who he has proclaimed himself to be. It's not on who we've made him up or who we think he should be. It's about truth, about who God is and who God is, has said, this is me. Here's what we got to understand. True worship is on God's terms, not ours. In fact, the big thing is worship's not about you at all. That's where we, we come sometimes, we've got so confused and we've, we've manipulated in such a way as if I don't feel like I've worshipped or I don't enjoy the worship, or I'm not, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's on God's terms and it's about Him. Worship from the heart is about God and who He is and what He's done in our lives. I'm, I, at times we're focused on my experience of worship and it's not about my experience, it's focusing on God and who He is. That's true worship. It's on his terms. Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Worship. You're giving yourself to God. In fact, one of the, some of your translations say holy and acceptable to God. That means there is a worship that is acceptable, that truly is. You're giving him, and, and this is your life. This is everything about you. You're giving it to God. That's holy and acceptable. That's real worship. It's not about you. It's about God. Here am I. Whatever you want from me. It's about giving it all to him. Worship is literally something that overflows from within us. And to God, it comes out in this, this action of worship. Truly, worship is an overflow of your relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you will never worship. But once you have a relationship with God, worship becomes this, this overflow. The more you know God, the more you love God, the more you're in, in connection with God, worship becomes an overflow of that relationship that you have with him. So worship for individuals, it's meant to be a lifestyle, not an event. Worship is not just something we do for an hour on Sundays, or sometimes you turn on a Christian song and now you worship. It's not, a, it's not meant to be from event to event. Worship is to be a lifestyle. It's giving everything I have to God. It's, it's about the, the, the way to make this Sunday morning worship more dynamic is not if you've got a better preacher or better music, it's if you come in here ready to worship the true God. You want to change your worship on Sunday, the best way to do it is you come in ready to hear from God. You spend time, you've been worshiping all week, and you just come and move your worship from your car or from your room or from your house or from your walk to this auditorium, and together we, we worship him. It becomes an overflow of who we are, and that's when it becomes powerful. Remember, worship is not music. Worship is not the acts that's a reflection. That's an activity of the worship that is from the inside out. It's about doing what God has called us and living in him. It's that relationship that flows out. God told the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, some of the most powerful passages in Scripture. Chapter 2 specifically lays down our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Talks about how we're all part of one family and one God. And it's as if all of this is now overflowing to Paul. And listen to what he says. And I hope that you'll read this as I do and worship with this verse. Look at what he said. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
And all God's people said, when I realize what God has done for me, the salvation that he gave somebody who didn't deserve it, the sacrifice of his life for my eternity, and I realize it's a gift that I couldn't earn, and he has taken down all the walls, and I can walk right into his presence boldly, then individually I need to just fall on my knees. But did you notice that it was also in the glory of the church? It's not just me individually, but me coming together with you, who also are blood-bought saints of God. And together we express our love and worship to him because he's worthy. He deserves it. God is seeking those to worship, true worshipers. It's all in spirit and truth. And number three, the challenge for today, make it your priority to be a true worshiper. Listen to what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God is seeking worshipers, but God is serious about worship. God is a consuming fire. God is one we come with reverence and awe, not just, oh, here I am again, God. It's, you know, it, 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 we come with God with confidence. We come with God as his friend, but we come to God knowing who he is. And we come to God in worship and recognizing our position before him. Let me give you three thoughts that I want you to, and you can jot some of this down, you can think, but here's, here's what I want you to understand. If I'm not growing as a worshiper personally, I'm not in line with what God is seeking to do in my life. If your worship is not growing, then there's something, you're, you're, not, you're not growing in, in the way that God wants you because he made you a worshiper. He is seeking for you to worship. So if, if there's some things about worship, you're thinking, boy, I need to worship, then that's God calling you to worship. Go there. Take that step. If I'm not growing in worship, then I'm not in line with what God has for me. Second, if we're not growing as a worshiping church, we're not in line with what God is seeking us to do. If we're not growing in our worship together and we're not lifting up God together and we're not seeing how that changes and, how, and, and again, it's not about the, the music getting better or the sermons getting better or us having a, a nicer, it's about us coming together with a heart that's been moved by God and together we lift up God with our lives and everything that we do. We've got to keep growing in our worship. And we also got to remember, just as we've talked about this, that Jesus gave us the example, worship is what the world needs in fact, I'll give you a quote I, I read this week. A guy that I knew, Piper, said this. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Our job is to bring worshipers, to bring people to worship a true God. That's missions, whether it's here or around the world. Is our God. point is, like Jesus did with that woman, is to show them the true God and introduce them to him so they can be true worshipers as well. It's about bringing worshipers to God. Okay, I want to, we start with this verse, and I tell you, I wanted to give this back to worship. Psalm 95, verse number 6. If you go back to uh, one more screen back before this, I, I want to see just this verse by itself. Come, let us bow down in worship. Now, we already read that. We're going to read it again in a moment. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. Because as I read this, it just kind of intrigued me. Because he said, let us bow down in worship. Do you remember what, what I said at the beginning, the word worship, what the definition of worship was? It was literally to bow down. So let us bow down and bow down. Is that what he's saying? Is he being redundant? 
I want you to get, get a picture based on our definition of what we talked about. Worship, the word worship means I am bowed down before God. Worship is that inner attitude of saying, God, you're God and I'm not. You deserve my worship. I, 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 my heart is now in relationship. It's bo- so that's worship. So the words bow down becomes the actions of worship. I bow down because my heart is so bowed down before God. What else should I do? My heart is so moved because of who God is that my knees are going to hit the floor. Bow down to God in worship. In fact, now you'll see the next screen. Psalm 95, the verses surrounding it, gives us several ways that when we worship, if our heart is moved, he gives some examples. And you're going to recognize some of them. Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. Why? Because the Lord is a great God. The great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it. His hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Sing, shout, kneel. Don't harden your heart. Do what he's telling you to do. If you go through the Bible, there's things like lifting your hands. There's things like giving of your, your time and of your stuff. There's things like sharing the gospel. It, there's so many ways that if your heart is overflowing and bowing down before God, let it out. Worship God who deserves your worship. Come, let us. What does that look like to you this week? I'm going to worship God, and how is that going to show in my life? What am I going to let people know that there's a God because that relationship has got to get out? Worship God from my heart as we go through this week. A couple practical suggestions, and we'll be done. Number one, for worship to be effective, individually as a church, you have to make sure that, first of all, you believe that you have a relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about how many times you've been to church or done worship traditions. Do you know that Christ is your Savior? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven, that you're one of his kids? You can't worship without that. Worship comes when your spirit is changed from the inside out. Have you received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Number one, make sure that you're one of God's children if you're going to understand worship. Number two, let me challenge you this week to begin to establish a daily time with just you and God to worship. I would encourage you to do it, read the scripture, pray, but somehow make sure you are intentionally letting what you're learning about God overflow in some form in your it, whether it's a song, whether it's a word of thank you, God, whether it's a, an action that he leads you to, but all of it be done because it's just I can't hold it in. God is so good. I've got to do something to express what God has done in my life. Let me encourage you to also eliminate, number three, the garbage piece by piece that the world is throwing at you that is nothing but a distraction to your worship. Whatever it is in your life that turns you from where you should be worshiping to where you can't worship, what is that? Begin to eliminate those things that are destroying your worship. And let me, I said this earlier, but between now and next Sunday, let me challenge you. Prepare your heart for worship before you ever get in these seats. Talk to God and say, God, I want to hear from you. God, I'm going to express to you. God, I'm going to give, my heart is moved Prepare yourself before you ever walk through those doors next Sunday.
Remember, God is the audience. One man described it this way. A lot of times we think of, we come in as the audience is the congregation. The preacher and the, and the worship leaders, they're the ones prompting us and we're, they're the ones leading us and we're looking to them as the performers and we got it all wrong. God is the audience. And we all stand before a holy God with our hearts moved and he is looking for us to say, God, we worship you. I bow before you. I kneel my heart and my knees in your presence. Last verse, 1 Chronicles 16. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of 